Oh, man, they took the X's away. I don't know where to put this, so I think this is in the middle. All right, here we go. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you to worship. Um, we will be in Matthew chapter 9 today, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 26. the first book of the New Testament, which declares the new covenant. And I would like to welcome into the room the year 2021 this morning. You've made it. I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, dude, it's, it's good to be here. Um, I am not Jordan Bird. I am Derek Borum, and I'm um, just filling in this morning. Um, his Timothy of sorts, if you will. And um, I hope today that we can, we can see in God's Word um, a true picture of Jesus and how we are to approach Him. So if you found your spot, I will begin our reading of God's Holy Word today. Um, hear the Word of the Lord, church. And then the disciples of John came to Him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins, if it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. While he was saying these things to him, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd and, and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all the district. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful um, for your word this morning. We are grateful that though there is still uncertainty and chaos outside of this building, that in here there is certainty and there is order and there is truth. And we put our hope and our trust in your truth this morning, Father. And we ask that you write its eternal truths on our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before I get going this morning, I kind of wanted to tell like a small story because in, in the middle of this, I think it, it's like a microcosm of how 
we can see God working. Um, a few weeks ago, um, during my prayer time, I was, uh, God led me to like begin thinking about like what a, a New Year sermon might be like. And um, I had no idea why, you know, just started thinking about it. And then it wasn't until the beginning of this week um, that I, I, Jordan reached out to me and then I, I got it, like it, it clicked. Um, yeah, I instantly said, yeah, dude, God and I have been talking about this for like two or three weeks now. Like, uh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll fill in. Um, but I think like, like that, we, we often don't know what, what God is doing until after the fact. Like the year in 2021, it's, it would be really hard to like pinpoint what God is doing in our world, in our nation, in all the nations, because it won't be until the end where we fully see that, oh, God's purposes weren't thwarted this past year. There were some people, like, and you may be one in the room, that, like, it was a really hard year. And when we see in his word, like, his purposes are still being carried out. So we hear this today, like, God has brought you here, whether you're online, whether you're here, um, or whether you've been here for like many years, whether you're new here, like God has brought you here today. And he invites you and he invites me to participate in this work that he's been doing ever since this book was written. Like that is an humbling honor. And I want to pause and, and recognize um, this past year. Like we can learn the good godly lament. We might want to get back to normal, but I want to encourage you that, that God brings us through things in life. God brings us through difficulties or, or good times or joys. He brings us through pain, and he has no plan of leaving us the way that we were before them. The Bible says that there is nothing new under the sun, and this is true. Um, this past year may have been harder for many of us in the room, but in every season of life, he will change us. It just appears, um, like C.S. Lewis, Lewis has a quote um, where he says that God shouts in our pains and our difficulties, um, and we just see it more often in them. So, I want to encourage you today. If you came here looking for a fresh start, you came to the right place. Like our God is a God of new beginnings, and it's an honor to share his word. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing of the word of God. And that's the title of today's sermon. A call to desperate faith. And if you haven't come looking for a fresh start this morning, I want to challenge you. Because you've come to the right place too. We're about Jesus here, and if you don't know it yet, 
Jesus is all you need. It's not a strong economy. Um, it's not the right person in Washington. It's not the right seats in the UN. What you need is Jesus. So let's dig into this word. Um, as we begin our time, I want to I set the backdrop. Since we're just kind of diving in and we haven't been in Matthew, I want to set the backdrop for what's going on here. Um, we're in, a, we're in a, a passage called Narrative today, as you can see. It was just telling a story about Jesus. And we find ourselves in this narrative of chapters 8 and 9. It's after the, the great Sermon on the Mount, before, the, before another piece of discourse um, in chapter 10. But there's two emphasis in this narrative in chapter eight, chapters 8 and 9. And one is the authority of Jesus. He has authority and he is demonstrating it. Matthew is showing that he has demonstrated it over disease, disability, sickness, weather, demons, and even death itself. Because remember, if, if you were in the first century or you were actually one of these people, you wouldn't know who this Jesus guy is. You might think, well, he's, he's had a good string of luck, maybe. Like, well, like, people have been healed when he touches them. But, or you might think, like, he's just a regular dude or a modern-day David Copperfield that does the special stuff with the tigers and stuff. And the kids probably don't know who David Copperfield is, but he exposed a lot of the magicians, like, back in the 90s, and it was pretty cool. So one, we see the authority of Jesus, and two, we see Jesus ventures towards the unlikely disciple. And here's where I got to pause and say, this is, this is the good news this morning. For you and for me, I don't think there's any people of Jewish descent in here, but he came to us, the Gentiles. And it's like, it dawned on me, it's like, you know when, um, when Lloyd, Lloyd asked Mary Swanson, he said, Mary, what do you think the chances of a guy like you and a guy like me are winding up together? And she says, Lloyd, I think the chances are probably one in a million. And his response is, so you're saying there's a chance? Which is unlikely. You know, she, she was a pretty gal and he's missing teeth, like a big old gap. But I pause, and, and in this story, like, what are the chances of God coming to you and to me? Like, other religions don't have categories for this. The other religions say that, nope, God would not come as a baby. That's dishonoring to God. But that's the character of God. Like, there's a difference. When we say God is holy, we mean that he is other than us. Like he is so other than us that you and I, to become humbled, we have to be humbled. He is humble. Like he doesn't have to become humbled. That's who he is. He is so other than us that, that in order for us to become like him, he must first come to us. And yes, way, God has left heaven and he came to pursue you and to pursue me. And this is really good news, so let's get cracking. We will spend most of our time in verses 18 through 26, but I included 
14 through 17, um, mainly as a compare and contrast here. Um, Because what we see in 14 and 17 and other verses around chapters 8 and 9 um, is that there are people who believe they are in the kingdom of God and then there are sinners who God invites to become part of the kingdom of God. D.A. Carson has a quote on this um, on chapter 9. He explains it best, I think. He says, There is no suggestion here that he went to sinners because they gladly received him. He went to them because they were sinners. Just as a doctor goes to the sick because they are sick. In my news for you today is whether you're rich or poor, whether you're addicted to drugs or you're addicted to shopping, whether you're red, yellow, black, or white, the gospel is for you. So verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And like it's, it's a sobering reminder that we see today they're disciples of John, so they're ones of religious scholarship. They begin speaking about their religious rituals, their fasting, and that they practice them, and the, which is their religious convictions. So the sobering reminder that we see is our religious scholarship, our profession of a religious conviction, and our observance of a religious ritual does not make you a follower of Jesus. While these are very good things, like I want to encourage you, if, start a Bible reading plan. Like if you're like me, you probably won't make it through at the end of the year, but start it. Take up biblical convictions. Try fasting this year. It's really good. But that won't make you a follower of Jesus. So we got to talk about the foundations here. And it's where um, Tim Keller has a, a nice little quote we got in the lobby of the difference between the gospel and religion. Religion says, I obey in order to get things from God, which is the basis of what the disciples of John and the Pharisees are doing here. And the gospel says, I obey to get God. I obey to get this Jesus, to delight in him and to resemble him. Which is actually contrary and and less safe than any sort of religion. But let's keep going in, in verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. So this picture of a groom takes us back to the book of Hosea. And God took a prophet, Hosea, and tells him to go marry a wife of whoredom. And then his wife, Gomer, goes, after he marries her, goes back to her life of whoredom. And what does God do? What, what does Hosea do? Hosea is, is, is an allegory of God. He represents God, and, and Gomer represents God's people. And when Gomer is taken as a wife, 
She then continues to pursue whoredom, and God tells Hosea, you go after her. Because the greater Hosea is standing right in front of these people's eyes. And he's the whole point of why you would fast. He's answering their question about fasting. Like, that's gracious enough. He didn't have to answer that. He said, the reason why you'd even fast is to get more of me. And I'm here. So he takes... their religious conviction, their observance of religious rituals, their religious scholarships, and he points them all towards himself. So check this out, though. Jesus actually gives answers to the doubters. And if you've walked in here with doubt, like this is good news for you. Verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is a new wine put into the old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. The, I think that the cloth part here is, is pretty obvious. You know, if, if you put a patch over it, and the patch then starts to shrink, it makes a bigger hole. Um, and then the, the wine part here, we might not know much about, um, but, but new wine still has to ferment. So if it's already put up in, in, in dry wineskins, it's going to break it. Um, and the point of everything that Jesus is saying here is, I am doing something new. Your religious re- observances are not going to bring you to me. So this is the difference here that we see between the religion and the gospel. And rather than patching up old traditional practices of righteousness, Jesus has come to offer real growth. He's come to offer kingdom righteousness. And it's here I want to pause and say there's, there's three types of people um, in this passage. There's ones who reject Jesus openly, there's ones who are indifferent to Jesus, and there's ones who are desperate for Jesus. And it's really good news that Jesus is not indifferent towards our indifference. And I want to call you today into desperate faith. It's our, if you want a a word for the new year, like I don't see a better word for any year than to submit to Jesus in desperate faith. Because when we submit to Jesus in desperate faith, we are saying to our Lord, there is no other hope besides you. There is no other thing in life I can cling to. The adversity that everyone faces in this room might be different but the solution is the same. If you experience adversity this week in your body, in your relationships, in your circumstances, in your actions, 
or through religious persecution. I believe in this text and throughout the Bible, what we see is, it is in our desperation, this is where Jesus Christ meets us, and this is where he keeps us. So let's, let's carry on. Like That's what the word says. Verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him. So he's in the middle of this conversation taking place. Um, he's got sinners to his left, jokers on his right, and, and at the door he's got disciples of John, Right over here, he's got uh, the Pharisees. And then out of the middle of all this commotion, here comes a man. The man was a synagogue ruler or community ruler, um, which means that everyone in the room probably recognized him. And these same stories are told both in Luke and Mark. And this man's name's Jairus. So I'm going to call this man Jairus. Jairus comes in. And he kneels. Another translation might say he worships him. But not only does this like vis visually show his heart, um, this is for the dads and the grandpas in the room. Like I want you to listen closely. The man came in, he knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come. And lay your hand on her, and she will live. Like this is, this is real world, real life issues. There, there's a rapper, his name is Lecrae, and he's got a famous line. It says, you can either get bitter or you can get better. And I think many of us are tempted um, we might know the right thing to say, but maybe we never say it. Like it comes to mind, God, God brings something for you to bring to him, um, but we, we pause and we're like, well, we kind of talk ourselves out of it. And I want you to look at this man. Because check, check this out. The man expresses desperate, humble faith in Jesus and it leads us to our first point. Desperate, humble faith produces a confidence in Jesus Christ. Look again. My, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her. And does he say, she, well, she might live? Maybe? He gets it right. He says, and she will live. And this is how we are to come to God. We can follow this man's example, and that is on our knees in desperate faith in this new year. How we approach our God is so important. There's actually a whole book written about it at the beginning of the Bible. It's called Leviticus. It's one of the books you're going to skip over in your reading. That in Numbers. Um, and what, what the book of Leviticus says, if I could sum it up in a couple words, is it says our God 
is holy. Now you be holy. And you can't. You can try. But you can't. But if God's going to give you a command to do something, what we see in desperate faith is God provides a way. What we can't say to God is, if I do this for you, God, then you do that for me. Or if I just take up you know, your side, um, that you'll take up my side. No, we, we come to God on his terms and how he says to come. And thanks be to God that he has not left you. He has not left me to wallow in our pity. He has stepped towards you. And I want to encourage you today to come to Jesus, desperate for his mercy. And why? Let's continue. Verse 19. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. So in the midst of all that I described going on earlier in in this passage, what's going on in the room, God's attention directs to the man with desperate faith. And he goes with him. To be clear, this isn't like this new thing um, that's going on in the Bible. Um, It's not a new dispensation of grace. It's a fulfillment of everything that's been said before. Um, In Psalm 51, David, after being caught in adultery with Bathsheba, um, you know, tearing his clothes, says, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering because the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And here's the best freaking news I can give to you today. Our God has never turned away a broken and contrite heart that when you come to him with your brokenness, he will never cast you out. Like I, I, I don't have any better news for 2021. That's it. It's that simple. Like the gospel's not that hard. It's just getting it from here to here to here. So in coming to Christ with our brokenness and our sin, with our indifference and our rebellion, even if you're in active rebellion, he has never turned away a desperate heart. And he's not going to start today. Because when this heart is brought before the Lord Jesus Christ, the heart that says, I have nothing I can do, Lord, please have mercy on me. This is the heart that he sees, and this is the heart that he begins to shape and mold. And I'm concerned that I see it in myself first, that in my pride, in my sinfulness, there's times where I don't want to bring this heart to God. When the Spirit of God starts working in me, there's a little tension that starts to develop 
I can totally convince myself that that sin or that whatever is not a big deal. Like when, when your heart starts to, to want things that you know you shouldn't want, when your heart gets bored, This is why it's so important for us to, to see how God sees a desperate heart and how God sees desperate faith. Because Paul writes in 2 Corinthians twelve seven. this is how he keeps us. Paul says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, and to keep me from becoming conceited. And make no mistake, though the thorn was not God, the messenger was Satan. God did not stop it from being there, or God did not stop the messenger from coming. But God's plans can't be thwarted. So Paul was given a thorn in the flesh and God allowed it to happen in order to bring Paul in desperation to the Lord. And that's the purpose of almost anything that God allows to happen in your life. It's through our trials and tribulations. It's through seasons of random nothingness. God's doing something. And today I actually want to ask you, like, will you stop being defensive? Will you just lay down? Like, whatever is keeping you from, from bringing this heart before God? Jesus' invitation today is to to the believer and the non-believer alike. It's to desperately come to him, bringing all that you are and all that you are not. Um, not trying to put your best foot forward to show Jesus you know, what you can be or what you are. It's just how you are. He will give you rest. He will wash you white as snow. He will change you from the inside out. And that is shown right here in our invitation in verse 20. And behold, a woman who suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years. So I want to pause and refer us back to that book of Leviticus to grasp the full magnitude of what's going on. In Leviticus chapter 15, there's a paragraph, verses 25 through 30. It's a whole paragraph that says, if you have a discharge of blood, it means you outside the camp. After the blood stops, you can make offerings, and you can come back in. It tells you, well, I mean, and you might be able to try this or try that. And to understand, in, in chapters 13 through 15, there's this whole thing about cleanliness laws 
of leprosy, discharge of blood, and anyone who is not ceremonially unclean. Because we, we must understand that the mere presence and the mere holiness of our God, um, in it n- nothing unclean can stand. And the story of the Bible says that God made man to be in his presence. We see that in the Garden of Eden. God wants, it's this, this wild story that God actually wants to be with you. And because God is holy and God is righteous, you can't be in his sight if you have sin. And a part of the cleanliness laws is the fact that it doesn't, it isn't necessarily her sin. It could be, it might not be. We don't know. We aren't given that much information. But it's the fact that sin brought disease into the world. So since sin was responsible for that, it is not allowed in God's presence. And there can be nothing impure in God's presence. So he gives his law. And it says, anything unclean cannot and will not be in the presence of God. But that's because of his steadfast love for his people that he wants there. So this woman, being ceremonially unclean, outside the camp. And in Luke's gospel, we learn she spent all of her money on physicians trying to become clean. She has no more money. And in Mark's gospel, we learn that she hasn't gotten any better, but in fact, through the 12 years, has gotten worse. Kind of like the year 2020. It started out really good. It's just like, what in the world? Like, what? We, we had like a, however many days of like, stop the, the curve, and then like, Months later, it's like, well, I thought we had 14 days of stop the curve. I don't know. But this, this wasn't like a, a weird month or a weird year for her. Like, this is 12 years. 12 years of quarantine. She hasn't felt the touch of her husband She hasn't felt the touch of her children. She hasn't received a gracious hug from a friend. This sucks. Not only is she suffering from disease, but she's suffering from social isolation. And if she were to come towards someone, she's supposed to yell unclean. But she comes to Jesus with desperate faith. And it's the second point today. Desperate faith leads to confidence in Jesus. And secondly, desperate faith leads to boldness before Jesus. Read with me in verse 20. I don't know where I was. I'm just and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched 
the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch this garment, I will be made well. Like this is, this is bold. Why? Because if she touches some person in, in, the, in the crowd even getting to him, like they're unclean. She's putting all of her eggs in, in one basket right here that Jesus can make her well. So if we saw what Jairus' example was, her example is to come boldly before the throne of grace. So Jairus came humbly on his knees. Now we see that extended, that we come boldly before the throne of grace. This is, I mean, it's what Hebrews tells us. Since then we have such a great high priest, Jesus, through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Uh, here's an example right here. Because he was with a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Like, that's real. Like, Jesus walked the earth. Like, this is crazy news. Like, the, the liberal theologians will tell you he was just a myth. Um, but there's a, enough proof that Jesus was a, a real human. He walked the earth in sandals and chacos or whatever it is that Micah wears in the summer. <laughs> I was trying to fit that somewhere in the sermon. But Jesus was a real dude. Like, he can sympathize with us because he became human. Continuing Hebrews, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So don't boldly come to Jesus because you muster up courage. No, come to Jesus based on who he is. Come to Jesus with desperate faith. And it gives you courage. And this woman, she recognizes who Jesus is, and in passing, just touched his garment. And she put all of her eggs in one basket. Because if Jesus wasn't who he says he was, she then made him unclean. But what Matthew is saying right here and right now is to stop. Look at this man because he is unlike any other man. He's the greater Abraham. He's the greater David because when she touches Jesus, unlike any other person in the world, that person doesn't become unclean. Jesus stays clean, and not only does he stay clean, he makes her clean. Because what he's doing right there is reversing the curse. The curse that brought sin and death, Jesus then came to reverse it and to give you life. He's doing what the law could not do. The law couldn't make us clean. And he gives us this simple gospel that's so good that says, come to him 
in desperate faith, and he will make you well. And in verse 22, Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. He encourages her. He says, your faith has made you well. He highlights faith. Not that you had this courage, not that you did all this. Now, your faith has made you well. And as he, he healed her inside, what he did in that moment is bigger than what we might see because there was people around that knew she was unclean. And he says, everybody look. She's clean. And instantly, the woman was made well. So when we, when we become desperate for Jesus, we start to actually see. And Jesus turned. Because Jesus, not only does he have all this power and authority that Colossians describes so beautifully, that the world is made through him, by him, for him, and there isn't anything that exists that isn't upheld by the word of his power. And not only that, but he sees the one. A woman who wouldn't have been well thought of, not because of something she even really did. He sees the one. And I encourage you today that if there's a lot going on in this world that like he sees you and he invites you into intimacy. And intimacy begins when we're, we're just honest with God. There's something that like last year I learned in prayer um, is that prayer is less of you like telling God what you need, though it's good and God does want us to do that. Like prayer is more deeply you like just telling God how you feel, like being honest and being intimate. Like if God calls you to be intimate with your wife, like it's a manly thing to do to become intimate with God. Like if Jesus, the ultimate definition of a man, who, like, withheld so much, like, the strongest man that ever lived, if he became intimate with God, like, that's a manly thing to do. Because I've kind of laid some stuff out here, and it kind of, like, there's these tensions that I'm holding. You can't come to God on your own terms. But you can come to God with everything in your life. And what, what I want to like just make clear is I'm calling you to be honest with God about every part of your life. What the Bible's calling us to today is to let the gospel seep into every single part of our life and not quarantining Jesus to a certain part of it. To let the gospel affect our parenting to let the gospel affect how we treat other people at work, 
at school, to let the gospel affect how we treat the cashier, the waitress, the waiter. It's even bigger than that. Like to let the gospel affect everything, which means you come under Jesus' authority. And I have one example. Um, it's kind of personal, but whatever. Um, this year, where I didn't do that. Um, I got caught up, and it's where God kind of broke through in what I was just talking about, where I learned something about telling God how you feel. Um, because there was an example this past year where I think I had made a Facebook post. I said, I think. I made a Facebook post, and I never told God anything about it. I didn't bring my heart to God. I was frustrated. I was lashing out. And months later, like working through that, like God like put it on me. It was like, you've, you've not brought this to me. You've put stuff on other people. You've lashed out towards other people. And you haven't been changed by it. But I wasn't cast out. I was changed. So friends, like coming desperate to Jesus will rejuvenate your prayer life. When you see compassion in the flesh, and you let him into every part of your life, from your parenting to your finances to your work to even your evening, he changes you. You start to become confident in Jesus. You start to become bold before Jesus. May our lives also be marked with this same compassion towards others that he shows us. How long it had been in this woman's life for anyone to see her, but the one who knows the hearts of men, he knows more about her than she knows about herself. He sees her. He heals her inwardly and outwardly. And she is no longer unclean. She is clean. So I want to encourage you. In the middle of what we may feel, in the middle of the, our, our, the weight that we may feel from any sort of uncleanness that comes upon you, um, if, if you're like me, if you're like the people in the Bible, um, you may want to hide in your sin or you may want to ignore your desperation so when that weight comes upon you, don't, don't just brush it off. Show it to Jesus. If it's awkward, if it's painful, friend, show it to Jesus. If you have this angst in you that you couldn't bear to be exposed, friend, show it to Jesus. 
because this is good news. What would be the worst news if Jesus wasn't for you? This is good news. Jesus sees you. And he extends mercy and grace to all those who desperately approach him by faith that he is the son of God who has borne their griefs and carried their sorrows. So I want to invite the band um, to go ahead and come up here as we sum up like what we've kind of said. And I want to close with one question. So I've just got one question left. Like for 2020, 2021, will you invite Jesus into your house? In verse 23, when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, which was, this was common practice in that day, there were professional mourners, um, it was customary to hire wailing women, is what they call it, flutists. It's customary for them to make a commotion, which kind of, we in our Western world, we're silent. They make commotions. Verse 24, and he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. By this, he is not saying she was in a coma He's not saying anything about something that might go down, but rather he's saying, you don't know the authority that I possess. And God is not asking you to give Jesus authority today. God is asking you, will you submit to Jesus' authority? Because Jesus reigns. And what was the response of the indifferent and the rebellious. And they laughed at him. They thought he was too late. And in pride, they actually, this is the craziest thing. They actually laughed at God in the flesh. But don't let that appear disconnected. Like, if you don't come to God in desperate faith, or you're indifferent, or you're still rebellious, you're laughing at God in the face by either continuing in that or you can stop and lay it down and bend your knee to the authority of Jesus. Verse 25, But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. Every good Hebrew around would have been shouting to Jesus, Do not touch her, for, she shall become uncle- for you shall become unclean. But again, Jesus doesn't become unclean. He reaches out, he touches the dead, and he brings them back to life. So in response to the desperate faith of this man, Jesus heals his daughter, demonstrating his power and authority to stand between God and sinners to make sinners righteous.
So my question today, um, I want to pr provide a, a moment where we don't have to come anywhere. You can right there in your seat. Um, if anything has hit you, like that's, it's, there's a spirit of God that works in us. And I want you to confess. Um, whatever it is that, that might be on your heart, but really, let's be honest with God today about where we are. Let's be honest with God about how we're doing. Let's be honest with God about who Jesus is. So let's be honest with God and let's confess Jesus as our life. Let's confess Jesus as the one who makes sinner sinners clean. So I'm going to invite you now to, to go ahead and just bow your head where you're sitting. And Dave, if you will, just give us a minute. Father, we are desperately calling out to you. Search our hearts and know us, O God. As we behold this Jesus, transform us this year. Let us not look to the things around us going on. Let us look to the Son of God. God, I ask you to do with for every person in the sound of my voice, I ask you to do in our hearts what we cannot do. You would bring about a, a desperation for Jesus. You would bring about a, a humble, confident boldness before Jesus. God, I ask you to, to make dead people live. That's, that's the boldest thing I have to say. I don't know how in the world you'd make dead people live, but you do through the blood of Jesus. As the old hymn writer once said, I'm going to read this in the closing of my prayer. This is, this is our confession this morning, church. There is a fountain filled with blood that's drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. 
And e'er since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Thank you, Jesus, for being hope in the middle of no hope in the world. We ask that you glorify yourself among us and you would give us faith to see you, Jesus, in your strong name, amen. And the last verse, and the report of this went throughout all the district. So in closing, here's our prayer for our city, church, that the Lord would go before us in the power of the Holy Spirit that they may too come to Jesus in desperate faith. Amen.